funding for NJ Spotlight News provided by the members of the New Jersey Education Association, making public schools great for every child, and RWJ Barnabas Health. Let's be healthy together. Tonight on NJ Spotlight News, 70 plus mile per hour winds and heavy rain batter parts of New Jersey, causing severe flooding, forcing rescues and leaving thousands without power. We also had to close 30 streets within two hours. That's due to the flash flooding that occurred as a result of the rain. Plus, searching for answers. The U.S. Coast Guard is holding hearings to find the cause of last summer's deadly Newark port fire. The goal of this investigation is to enable the prevention of similar casualties in the future. Also, baby food dangers. Congressman Frank Pallone calls for federal safety mandates to test for toxic metals in your baby food products. Our food companies can do a lot more to reduce the presence of these toxic metals that harm our babies' brains and lower IQ. And the firefighter shortage is dire here in the state, posing a serious risk to small and rural communities. We've now reached uh, emergent conditions. Small town fire departments are going out of business. NJ Spotlight News begins right now. From NJPBS Studios, this is NJ Spotlight News with Brianna Venozzi. Good evening and thanks for joining us. I'm Brianna Venozzi. Parts of the state are underwater tonight after a powerful storm swept through the region on Tuesday, dumping between two to three inches of rain statewide. The flooding was so severe, water rescues were reported throughout the state. In South Jersey, record rainfall totals were reported in Atlantic City and Millville. The storm causing widespread road closures. Many schools were closed or delayed today. Flights grounded. A resident was spotted canoeing through Manville, which of course has had its share of devastating floods over the years. And it wasn't just the rain. This storm brought with it dangerous winds up to 72 miles per hour at Island Beach State Park, adding to issues with coastal flooding in places like Harvey Cedars and Tom's River. At the peak of the storm, more than 120,000 people were without power statewide. That number has dropped significantly, though, throughout the day. And even though the rain has ended, rivers are continuing to rise and crest at various flood stages. The Delaware in Burlington County clocked the highest at just under 12 feet. For many towns, especially those along the Passaic or Saddle Rivers, it means the worst of the flooding is still to come, including Lodi, where Governor Murphy this evening toured the damage. And our senior correspondent Brenda Flanagan surveyed earlier today. Water spurted from pumps in Francisco Santiago's basement. His home sits a few yards from where the Saddle River's invading Lodi. Overnight, rainfall turned the river into a raging torrent. It's the fifth time Santiago's house has flooded in six years. It sucks. It really does. They need to, they got to do something better than this. The water's all the way backed up here, you know, like the, the waste pipes are backed up now. So you can't even run your water because, you know, like if you flush your toilet, the, the, the water start coming out of the toilet, you know. Um, 
It's bad. His wife and one-year-old fled to stay with relatives last night. Lodi had to evacuate 100 residents in emergency water rescues. Folks who will shelter with family until the river subsides, says County Executive Jim Tedesco. So everybody went to bed thinking everything's going to be fine. 7 o'clock this morning, it rose dramatically. And that's when everybody got trapped in their homes. So that's when all of our swift water rescue teams and everybody had to be put into action very quickly. Tedesco says folks from Karlstad and Moonaki also needed water rescues as river and tidal floods swept into neighborhoods. In Lodi, construction crews this afternoon struggled to extricate a cargo container swept up and wedged under a bridge where it backed up floodwaters even further. And that's creating a little bit of a problem for us and it's making the water run faster and it won't let the water upstream drain. Rising rivers forced police to block roads across the state. Schools closed, people missed work, and residents vented their anger over yet another flood impacting their lives, destroying homes, and hurting business. Last year we were closed about five or six times because of the flooding, so every day that we're closed, you know, no money coming in. Bergen County doesn't do anything. They don't help at all, and this is not the first time that it's happening. They're supposed to fix this, and it, it didn't work, obviously. Tom Coziol owns a block of 27 apartments in Lodi. He's furious at yet another flood. All the politicians, they said, can't do anything for you. You're on your own, okay? So, you know, for me, we got flood insurance. But these tenants down here shouldn't have to go through this year after year. The Saddle River floods not slated to crest until sometime tomorrow, along with other river systems that are still being fed by runoff following this latest storm. Those areas were already primed from the uh, two December storms, not to mention the storm that we just had a few days ago, so that the ground was already very saturated, so any additional water just quickly became runoff. The storm drenched New Jersey with rainfall topping three, possibly four inches in some areas. The Raritan and Passaic rivers continue to rise. Patterson had to rescue a dozen folks. We also had to close 30 streets within two hours. That's due to the flash flooding that occurred as a result of the rain. And what we're doing now is we are closely monitoring the Passaic River. Patterson Mayor Andre Saya says the city needs funds to build flood controls as a warming climate cooks up stronger and more frequent storms. Jersey towns could create stormwater utilities and charge fees to pay for infrastructure upgrades, but... We don't have any in New Jersey yet, but they are very popular across the country. States like Alabama and Florida, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and they're working. And the only answer is to establish the mechanisms locally to manage water where it falls so that everything that's sheeting off you know, warehouse and Costco parking lots isn't ending up in our backyards. Meanwhile, back in Lodi, Santiago has filled in doors and windows with foam. He's keeping the pumps running, but he's very tired. It's emotional. It's tough. Like once that water reaches this, all these all these houses, they're, they're done. In Lodi, I'm Brenda Flanagan, NJ Spotlight News. Federal investigators today began questioning workers of a cargo ship that caught fire in Port Newark roughly six months ago, claiming the lives of two Newark firefighters.
The probe is part of a series of public hearings, including 13 witnesses to help the U.S. Coast Guard and National Transportation Safety Board figure out what happened aboard the Grand Costa de Avorio on the night of July 5th. As Ted Goldberg reports, today's testimony was significant, confirming allegations as to where the fire started. They just start screaming at me to get out of the car because the car was on fire. The first of six hearings to investigate last summer's deadly cargo ship fire at Port Newark focused on how the fire started. Employees for American Maritime Services testified that the fire started from this Jeep used to push vehicles on board and burst into flames after its driver heard strange noises. Just a clunking noise when it was like, like you dropped a, like a wrench. You didn't see or hear any alarms coming from the Jeep with the alarm panel. Just a clunky, clunky noise. Gavin Paczynski says working on any ship is noisy, so he kept driving towards the other 1,200 cars on board the Grande Costa Devorio. Workers say the push vehicles used to move around these cars aren't street legal and aren't inspected daily. Some of them were missing mirrors, uh, the, uh, particularly on the Jeep, it was missing uh, the back windshield. If there had been smoke coming out of this vehicle at any point in time that it were operating, you would know yeah. to stop driving. Oh, yeah, of course. If the Jeep was overheating, Paczynski couldn't tell because he testified that the lights behind the gauges on the dashboard weren't working, raising further questions about the protocol behind cars that break down mid-shift. If I'm a first aid lasher and I come on the job and you had been operating the Jeep and you set it aside if you have a problem, how would I know that that Jeep was out of service? Um, like I said, the mechanic is the one to look at to determine what was wrong with it. Have you ever been notified that the vehicle is not operating properly? The policy in place at Port Newark was to put damaged cars to the side. So to your knowledge, when an overheating issue was experienced, the vehicle will be parked and just shut off. Right. On that day that you noticed the Jeep was set aside for any period of time? It, it was a side, uh, set to the side um, during the day. Worker Austin Costanzo said he previously drove that same Jeep and said it overheated multiple times, but he couldn't definitively say it overheated the day of the fire. The Coast Guard and National Transportation Safety Board questioned whether or not workers were prepared to handle fires that broke in these push cars or anywhere on the ships. In your year and a half of operating a push vehicle, have you ever been given specific direction on how to handle a mechanical issue you start experiencing one? What, if any, training did you have in use of portable uh, fire sensor? Uh, just from uh, my dad was a fireman, so he taught me a little. So was the push car overheated and then sent back to work too soon? Lawyers fought on this point throughout today's hearing. There is no testimony that this vehicle was out of service at all, ever, on that day. There's just no evidence of that. That is exactly what I'm establishing. No one disputes where this deadly fire started, but it's still to be determined if it could have been contained more effectively. Hearings continue Thursday and Friday with three more next week. In Union, I'm Ted Goldberg, NJ Spotlight News.
Senator Bob Menendez's defense team is asking a federal judge to dismiss the multi-count indictment against him, calling the government's accusations of bribery and corruption outrageously false and his conduct constitutionally immune from prosecution. The motion to dismiss comes a day after a defiant Menendez delivered a speech from the Senate floor echoing many of the same arguments. His trial is set for May. Dozens of new lawmakers were sworn into office on Tuesday, just hours before the governor delivered his State of the State address, marking the start of a new two-year session, with more than 30 fresh faces being added to the legislature, six of whom moved up to the Senate from the Assembly. Democrats retain the majority they've held since 2002 and are keeping most leadership roles the same. Senator Nick, Senator Nick Scutari will maintain his position as Senate president. Assembly Speaker Craig Coughlin began his fourth term, making history as the longest-serving speaker in New Jersey. This class, though, is also the first to be elected under newly drawn district boundaries, something that happens every 10 years in the state. The most recent maps were designed after intense debates about providing more opportunities for people of color to win seats in the Senate and Assembly, all to represent the state's increasingly diverse population. Our senior writer Colleen O'Day says despite that effort, it didn't turn into a reality. The redistricting really is a time that allows for presumably an, an increase, a change in representation. Um, there were some efforts made to create some districts that would provide an opportunity for people of color, for, um, for Asians, for Hispanics to, um, to win a seat. Uh, that doesn't mean they would automatically win, but that didn't happen. And on the gender side, uh, there are actually two fewer women than there were um, before this session started. Newark making history today, becoming the first city in New Jersey to lower the voting age to 16 for school board elections. The council's approval makes Newark the second largest city in the country to enact an ordinance like this. Advocates have long said the move will help boost turnout. Newark's participation has hovered around just 3% in the last few years. And it's a move the state is now considering following. Senior political correspondent David Cruz has the story. It was former Mayor Ken Gibson who once famously said, wherever America's cities are going, Newark will get there first. It was with that in mind that today's ordinance to give 16 and 17-year-olds the right to vote in school board elections attracted activists and students on whom the significance was not lost. Many like social changes occurred here, so I think it would be a great landmark, a great landmark place to like we can maybe be the, um, as you can say, like the blueprint. Like other other cities can look at us and be like, oh, we can see 16 year olds are voting. That means there must be something. There must be a reason why they're voting. There must be a good reason they gave them why they should vote. And that should be like uh, a domino effect happening everywhere else. Being 16 shouldn't downplay what I could do as an individual, but it should like motivate 16 year olds to come out and speak about issues they want to talk about. Brianna and Nathaniel are part of Vote 16 Newark an affiliate of Vote 16 New Jersey, co-founded by two other Jersey kids who just happened to get a shout out from the governor yesterday as he endorsed a state law that would match the Newark ordinance. This is a proposal inspired by two bright young leaders with us today, Anjali Krishnamurti 
and Yen Jae Hu. That must have been a, uh, a kick yesterday, getting uh, shouted out by the governor. Yeah, it was amazing. I mean, seeing how far we've come and the amount of support that we've seen across the state, it's amazing to have the governor's support. We are an advocate generation, and we've decided that we have that civic responsibility and go out into the world and to participate. It is so important that it happened here. It is the largest city in the state. It is a majority black and brown city. And you know, as we when we look at this moment, we need to keep that in mind, that we are watching all around the country people, lawmakers work to suppress the vote, um, to oppress people's say, and it's often targeting black and brown voters. And to be sure, this coalition, which includes the New Jersey Institute for Social Justice and others, sees this as a test case. If 16 and 17-year-olds can vote for school board, why not mayor or Congress or state legislature? And that argument met with skepticism from some lawmakers. But they can't smoke until they're 21. I mean, the reality is we had student government when I was in school. If you wanted to get into that whole political thing, you ran for student government. 18 is the age of majority in this country. Uh, and I know that my mindset was much different at 16 than it was at 18. There's no benefit to it, or the, the well, like, Democrats just trying to get more voters? That yeah, that's exactly it. Look, it's 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 clear when you know you know the old saying: if you're uh, you know when you're very young, if you're not a Democrat, uh, you have no heart. If you're not, when you get a little older, a Republican, you have no brain. Like it or not, the kids are coming, and today might just be looked back upon as one small step for some kids, one giant leap for a democracy. In Newark, I'm David Cruz and James Spotlight News. And be sure to tune into Chatbox tomorrow where David talks with U.S. Senate candidates Representative Andy Kim and union organizer Patricia Campos Medina about their mission to unseat embattled Senator Bob Menendez. That's Thursday at 6 p.m. on the NJ Spotlight News YouTube channel. In our Spotlight on Business report, despite years of research confirming the harmful effects of toxic heavy metals, think lead and mercury, in our children, there's currently no federal requirement to test finished baby food products for the contaminants. Congressman Frank Pallone is looking to change that. He's one of several federal lawmakers backing a new bill urging the U.S. government to mandate testing. Melissa Rose Cooper reports. In 2021, approximately 14% of New Jersey's child population was living under the federal poverty level. And in 2020, around 9% faced food insecurity. The stress of securing food should not be an added burden on households already facing numerous challenges. Yet it's a challenge many families across New Jersey faced nearly two years ago after a nationwide shortage of baby formula due to bacterial contamination left parents struggling to feed their babies. So child advocates are applauding a new bill known as the Infants Act aimed at ensuring food safety for infants and toddlers. Every parent deserves the right to make informed choices for their children's health without stress or worry of scarcity. Access to essential nutrition for our newborns should not be a difficult task for any family. This act aims to prevent another formula shortage for our youngest children, easing the burden on our families and providing families with, the, with viable options to secure the health and growth of our youngest community members. 
Congressman Frank Pallone says his decision to introduce the bill is in response to the lack of a federal mandate requiring the FDA to enforce manufacturer testing of finished baby foods, including formula, for toxic heavy metals and other contaminants. The bill would require that owners and operators of manufacturing facilities of food marketed for the consumption of infants and toddlers, like applesauce for example, conduct sampling and testing for contaminants like lead, cadmium, mercury, and arsenic, and submit a written sampling plan to the FDA with accessible records for inspection. Critical steps advocates say are needed since contaminants like lead and mercury are naturally found in soil where plants are grown and can make their way into food. That about 10,000 babies today will start to eat solid food. Um, and while we can't completely eliminate the toxic metals, Congressman Pallone mentioned lead, cadmium, mercury, arsenic from our baby food, our food companies can do a lot more to reduce the presence of these toxic metals that harm our babies' brains and lower IQ. And, and these same companies can also do a lot more to reduce the risk of these pathogens like Cronobacter in infant formula. This topic that's actually plagued our community for quite a long time, it's, uh, and it's affecting our most uh, families that need the most support, that are working the hardest. Uh, and it, even recently, if you brought up the Nutramagen thing, I've had a family yesterday call me saying, uh, there's no Nutramagen available and what should I do? And they, you know, they rely on the WIC. Getting services from the WIC is not that simple for our families. And Nutramagen is a formula that is actually very specific. Uh, so there is medical indications for this. And so now this family can't find formula and this baby needs this formula. Um, so these are reasons that I strongly support that we need further support for these families and making sure that these formulas, these foods are, you know, appropriately tested so we don't end up having these situations. All steps to ensure children have safe food to eat while also providing families with peace of mind. For NJ Spotlight News, I'm Melissa Rose Cooper. On Wall Street, stocks edged higher as investors wait for fresh inflation data this week. Here's how the markets closed today. tonight, the declining number of volunteer firefighters isn't a new problem, but it's one that's posing a serious risk to people and their homes across New Jersey, especially in small and rural towns. More than five years after the state created a task force to look into the matter, the members issued a report showing the situation is dire, but there may be a way to fix it. Raven Santana reports. <laughs> That loud siren usually indicates to everyone somebody needs help and they're going to get it. But Manchester Township volunteer firefighter John Johnston says help has been looking a lot different due to the shortage of volunteer firefighters in small to mid-sized towns like Manchester across the state. A house can go start with a small fire outside and end up burning an entire building down. 
Um, the amount of people that are around anymore is just not enough. We need more people. That's because only 8.3% of New Jersey fire departments are staffed by career officers, according to New Jersey Division of Fire Safety Statistics. The rest are volunteers or a combination of both. It's been getting worse. We've now reached uh, emergent conditions. Small town fire departments are going out of business. Um, members don't have the, the time for the training requirements. Uh, the demographics of small towns are much different. Bob Morris is vice president of the New Jersey State Fire Chief Association. He says if something doesn't change, lives could be put on the line. Now this is an emergency. People dial 911 and they're not getting a fire engine from their town four minutes away. They're getting fire engines from neighboring towns 12 to 15 minutes away. Quite honestly, people are going to are dying, okay, because the response is so far. Ultimately, you're going to have houses burn and, and possibly people lose their lives, and that's, that's unfortunate. You don't want to see that ever. Joseph Hankins is the chairman of the Special Task Force on Volunteer Retention and Recruitment and a volunteer firefighter in Manchester. The task force recently sounded the alarm about the concerning trends by releasing a report last month looking at the growing shortage of volunteer firefighters and other first responders in New Jersey. The state commissioned a report outlined several recommendations to expand the ranks of volunteers, including... One of the other things we went into in the, in the report was opening up maybe the vocational schools to teach firefighter one, firefighter two, and the availability of EMT training through vocational or high school. And this way, when they graduate high school, they've got a, a trade that they can run right into. And if nothing improves, the trend could eventually force more municipalities to pay emergency workers at taxpayers' expense. If a trend continues and we continue to move away or lose volunteers, it has a significant budgetary impact on, on municipalities who may not simply be able to afford it, particularly when, when you're operating within a 2% uh, you know, property tax cap. So, uh, you know, other services may have to be sacrificed uh, at, at the expense of, of, of having to go or add on professionals or go fully professional. So, um, it, 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 it really becomes a challenge at, you know, for property taxpayers. In the meantime, veteran volunteer firefighters like Tony Nasta says they're doing their part to retain and recruit more volunteers. When we send out our fund drive letters, most of the people in towns think we're paid and we're not because they come from the city and they come down here and say, oh, you're paid. No, we're volunteer. That's why we send you a fund drive letter to say, hey, help support us. Firefighters now hope that the recommendations in the new report will be implemented to help support volunteer firefighters and volunteer fire stations that communities like Manchester Township rely on when danger strikes. For NJ Spotlight News, I'm Raven Santana. And that's going to do it for us tonight. But don't forget to download the NJ Spotlight News podcast so you can listen anytime. I'm Brianna Venozzi for the entire NJ Spotlight News team. Thanks for being with us. Have a great evening. We'll see you right back here tomorrow. NJM Insurance Group, serving the insurance needs of residents and businesses for more than 100 years. And by the PSCG Foundation.